Well, Bruce needs some lessons in contextualization, and we do too. So we're part three in our series in Freedom Forfeited, as we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 8 to 9. Uh, In the first week, we saw Paul's encouragement to the Corinthian church to lay down their rights, their freedoms, for the sake of love. In the context of food sacrifice to idols, Paul says, I'm not going to eat it if it's going to cause someone to stumble. And so I hope at community group on Wednesday night, you might have talked about what, what are the types of freedoms we can sacrifice for the sake of building up others and not causing them to stumble. Then last week, Lockie took us through 1 Corinthians 9, the start of it, as Paul says he lays down his freedoms and his rights in order to step into the call of God that God has on his life. A selfless attitude of life that is driven to do God's will and not comfort. And next, Paul shifts gear slightly because this goes beyond just for fellow Christian. Paul says he'll forfeit freedoms in the cause of winning people to Jesus. So tonight's passage really relates to evangelism, our sharing of our faith with others in the hope that they might too know the salvation that is found in Jesus. And I think this is very relevant today as we approach Easter and as you guys are going to be talking with your friends and your family about what that means for you. Uh, This is relevant. How confident are you to share your faith with your friends? And is that a concern or a burden for you? What might be the obstacles that might be in the way of people hearing the message? Like Bruce maybe will come across a little bit too, you know, culturally insensitive to a fish. How can we be better? So a bit of a roadmap for tonight. Uh, Firstly, I want us to be inspired by the cause we're talking about. Winning the lost that's shaped by freedom forfeited, an attitude to be like servants. And then we're going to look at contextualization, where Paul says, we heard it before, becoming all things to all people. What is that? What does that look like? And to be better equipped to reach our audience. And then we're going to finish with a look at Jesus. The path already taken the one whom this is all about. So I encourage you, if you've got your own Bible, to have it open to this passage, or if you've got uh, the the leaflet there with the verses, uh, we really want to dig in to see what God wants to say to us. Uh, Let me pray as we come to it. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the King as we've been reflecting. You are so worthy of our whole lives, and we just pray as we come to your Word, Lord, speak to us. And I just pray for those who, including myself, We're talking about sharing our faith and evangelism just brings up feelings of inadequacy or fear or shame or pride. I just pray, Lord, that tonight we would hear your voice that you want to come and speak through us. Help us to hear the gospel, that it is in your power and yours alone that we that we walk forward. So help us, Lord, tonight to hear from you and grow us to be the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So with your Bibles open, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. See, the cause that Paul lays down his freedoms for is to win as many as possible. Practically in every verse 
of this passage. If you look through, every sentence is the word win. You just can't get away from it. Paul keeps coming back to it. Or as he explains further, verse 22, he says, that I might save some. Now, it's no secret that I'm a competitive person. I love winning, whether it's cards or basketball or running or video games or bottle flip. I see a few smirks around here because they, they know me well. I'll take it on and I'll chase a win. But you know, it's embarrassing when I compare that to Paul's attitude towards winning. You know, I can be so driven in the superficial by personal glory. And yet here is Paul driven by a cause to win that is so much more urgent. It's so much more meaningful. You see, for Paul, understanding of winning is not coming first, but persuading others to the truth and the hope of the gospel. Like, is there any cause more worthy? If people are lost and they're in darkness, separated from God and, and facing eternal judgment, and if we have this message of hope that Jesus has rescued us, He's given us eternal life, we have access to God through faith, peace with God. And then if He sent us out on mission, filled with the Holy Spirit, carrying this message, is there a cause that's more worthy? Paul says he's going to make himself a slave. He's going to forfeit his freedoms in order to win people to this, to win as many as possible. One, does our lifestyle reflect this kind of concern for the lost? Does our lifestyle reflect this concern? And we can easily feel guilty that we don't feel that urgency. And I want, want to say really clear tonight, and it's important that you hear that, this is that God's heart is inclined with grace towards us. He's inclined with grace. We are reconciled to God. We have access to Him through what Jesus has done and not how good we are at evangelism. Right? And yet we do need still a wake-up call because I do believe the Spirit comes and He prompts us. He says, come on, wake up. Wake up. Hear this. Hear this. Uh, Keith Green, a songwriter from the 70s, uh, famously wrote a song, Asleep in the Light. I heard it first as a 19-year-old. I wasn't 19 in the 70s. I, when I was 19, I heard it. Uh, and I reckon we need a bit of a Keith Green kick up the butt sometimes. Uh, listen to these prophetic words from the 70s. He says this. Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job is done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, that's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. When it comes to evangelism, sometimes we need to hear tenderness, empowerment, forgiveness. But you know, sometimes there's going to be a time 
where we need to hear a challenge and a wake-up call. Don't you care? Is winning those who need saving a pressing concern for me, for us? Is this a cause that motivates us? You know, this is the challenge. Paul made himself a slave, a servant. He made himself like that to win as many as possible. Again, do our lifestyle choices, what we eat, how we speak, where we sit, how we dress, where we live, do they reflect this concern for the lost? But notice as well that his posture, Paul's posture is not just urgency, but humility. Look at this. He says he makes himself a slave to all. You see, when thinking about evangelism, the contextualization of our message we're going to talk about, our posture has got to be love and grace and sacrifice, not entitlement, not about self-promotion, not pride or arrogance. And, you know, this is one reason I think that the missions of the colonialists were so damaging It's because Westerners came in pride and control rather than in love and humility and self-denial. In many ways, a proud unwillingness to let go of freedoms and cultural preferences distorted the gospel and failed to contextualize for so many in need, in need of rescue. You see the difference? Paul comes, he's like, I'm going to sacrifice my freedoms and yet so many like I think as the church, we've failed. We've been deceived by so many ways where we kind of, it's about converting people to culture rather than to Jesus. And out of that is a pride where Paul says, I make myself a slave. It's humility. It's sacrifice. So with that in mind, let's have a chat about tech contextualization. And that's a long word, and I'm probably going to stumble on it as I say it tonight, so bear with me. But really what it, what it means is to Paul it says he became like those he was trying to reach by removing obstacles that might prevent them from hearing and understanding the gospel. And let me say that again. Contextualization for Paul, he became like those he was trying to reach. And as he becomes like them, he removes obstacles that might actually be preventing them from hearing and understanding this good news, the gospel. So let's read from verse 20. And I want you to notice the repetition, I became like, I became like. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. This is the first group. To those under the law, again, what's the difference between the Jews and those under the law? I think what he's talking about is those Gentiles who'd converted to Judaism. They're called the God-fearers. You might see them in Acts, these Gentile kind of Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, probably your Gentiles, your Greeks, those who weren't had anything to do with God's Word, I became like one not having the law. There he gives an aside, though I'm, free, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, this is our last group, he says, I became weak to win the weak. Who are the weak? Well, he's talked about in chapter 8. They were the type of people who had... Uh, their consciences were affected by those sacrificing food to idols. And so Paul says he, I, he uh, four different groups that he's going to identify with. Each he becomes like. He changes his lifestyle in order to reach them. He removes obstacles that might prevent them from hearing the gospel. You know, we see this 
Paul doing this in Acts. At one point in Acts, as he's trying to reach Jews, those under the law, he has his, or his, um, uh, his associate, Timothy, circumcised. Now that's sacrifice. Am I right, boys? <laughs> but in Athens, in chapter 17, as Paul goes and he's in a Greek context, he's debating and he's arguing and reasoning by quoting their poets. He's, con- he's in different contexts. He's changed to reach them. And so I want to ask us tonight, this is where we'll spend a bit of time, what would con- contextualization look like in our context? What's that going to look like for us? And so what I want to do is introduce you to three people. They're hypothetical, but just some scenarios to get us thinking. So number one is Jane, our international student from Taiwan. Uh, her father and mother live in Taiwan. And they send money to Jane to live in Australia to study. Jane studies for hours and hours. She doesn't play sports. She doesn't go out. Instead, she attends tutoring for her maths. Uh, Jane's ambition is to become a doctor, earn enough money to send home to her parents. Uh, next up, we have John. Uh, John is a 16-year-old, totally unmotivated youth. Uh, John is the type of guy that wears board shorts all year round. Uh, there's a few Johns here, I know. Uh, they like their board shorts. Uh, he doesn't enjoy high school. Uh, once the end of school bell rings, John jumps on his bicycle and rides to the beach to go surfing. John's ambition is to leave school when he turns 16, take up a day labor job so he can surf every day with his buddies. We've met Jane, we've met John, and lastly, I want to introduce you to Trisha. Trisha is a 50-year-old auntie. She's divorced, no kids. And when Trisha's not in her garden, she's petitioning government for its lack of concern over climate change. Uh, Trisha's outfit is like walking straight out of an op shop. She always has a crystal around her neck, and she often gets into debates at family get-togethers. Uh, Trisha recently protested at an Extinction Rebellion event. Jane, John, and Trisha need saving. They need the gospel. And let me tell you where I think sometimes our witness and our evangelism actually falls short because we fail to contextualize. You see, we might approach Jane, John, and Trisha something like this. To Jane, we tell her that study is an idol. She needs to take, not take it so seriously. You know, money is a bad motivator, and therefore she needs to give up her dream of being a doctor She should consider being a missionary instead. Better yet, she should think about being a youth minister. We might tell John that surfing is an idol. He needs to realize that there's more to life than the beach, that he should apply himself in school and use his God-given potential. If he is serious about following Jesus, he should get a decent-paying job. Better yet, he should become a youth pastor. We might tell Tricia that she's made environment an idol, that she's being too disruptive and divisive, What Trisha needs to do is stay at home and care for her nieces and nephews, settle down, perhaps do some volunteering. Better yet, she should become a youth pastor. So why is this a problem? Where have we gone wrong? You see, in many ways, our evangelism is putting up obstacles that don't need to be there. It refuses to accept that the gospel transcends culture and instead it subconsciously imposes our culture onto them. And in many ways, it's just like, be like me, right? That's where the youth pastor thing came from. Sam Chan, he describes this. He says, by doing this, Christians are asking people not only to convert to Jesus, 
but also to convert out of their culture into another culture, usually the culture of the Christian evangelizing them. And this is why contextualization is important, or as Paul will say again and again, becoming like. Becoming like. So how do we do it? How do you contextualize? Well, a few things to note, three things. Number one, understand firstly your own gospel identity. See, the first mistake we often make is that we don't have a solid grasp between what is the gospel and what is just our culture. The very reason Paul must contextualize is because he is not like them anymore. Did you see that? He said, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. Whereas Paul is, he was a Jew and he no longer identifies himself that way anymore. His identity is now a servant of Christ as he introduces this letter, not Palestinian Jew. Is that how you see your culture around you? We are children of God, servants of Christ, new creations filled with the Spirit. Our citizenship is in heaven. Have we made this shift in our minds? That our attempt to win others is not to win them to a culture, but to Jesus. You see, Jane can meet Jesus without giving up her dream of becoming a doctor. John doesn't need to go to school to be a Christian. Trisha doesn't need to abandon her passion for the environment. No, no, they need Jesus, not what our culture says they should be like. So one, understand your own gospel identity. Number two, understand your audience. Because what works for one context may not work in another context. You see, Trisha's heart cry is different to John's. The way John sees the world is different to the way Jane sees the world. And each of them will have different barriers to hearing the gospel. You see, the gospel doesn't change. I need to be really clear on this. The gospel is the same. Paul's been very clear at the beginning of this letter. He's like, the gospel is the power. That doesn't shift. But the on-ramps might be different. You see, people are asking different questions. So here's some suggestions for understanding your audience better. Understanding your audience Understand their worldview. In other words, how they see the world. What are the themes of their story? You see, the theme of Jane's story is honor and family. And I guess a modernist outlook where it's all about a work ethic and, um, and reason and logic. Whereas for John, it's more of a postmodernist logic where, or, or worldview where it's about love and doing what you love with the people you love. That's what's important. About that freedom. Whereas for Tricia, her worldview, it's about responsibility. It's about compassion, justice, and duty. And you see how they have different ways of seeing the world. And they need different ways of hearing the gospel so that we can contextualize it to them. Which brings me to the next point. Understand their existential cry. That's a big fancy word for what does their heart cry for? What are they longing for? What is their reason for existing? And how can we 
how does Jesus and the gospel fit that longing? You know, for Tricia and the brokenness of the world and the injustice, we might introduce her to the true healer of the world, Jesus. For Jane, her need for acceptance and for honoring her family, she might discover Jesus who brings us acceptance to God, who takes our shame upon the cross that we might know the honor of God and be restored to Him in that way. Or for John, he might serve to escape the harshness of life, whereas in Jesus there is the fullness of peace and joy and relationship with God. We need to understand their worldview, understand their existential cry, and we need to empathize with their burdens. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Don't make the mistake of just downloading your gospel track on someone with little care actually for their life story, for their heart. Take an interest. Listen. You know, for your gay friend, can you emphasize with their struggle with bullying? You say, look, I I hear you. That must be really hard. For your crazy, passionate auntie who, who's lonely. Wow, that must really suck. I'm, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. That must be hard. Or for the international student in your uni class who's drowning in expectation. Would you listen enough to say, hey, that must really weigh you down. Empathize with their burdens. Empathize with them. So understand your gospel identity Understand your audience. And lastly, in contextualizing, we must seek to enter and challenge culture. Seek to enter and challenge culture. You see, if we only ever challenge culture and not enter it, we might actually be asking people to give up something that they don't need to give up or to do something that they don't need to do, which is in fact legalism, not the gospel. If we only ever challenge And, you know, sure, Jane needs to be challenged on her idolatry to study, but becoming a Christian doesn't mean no longer caring about her parents and honoring or sending money to them or becoming a doctor. On the other hand, if we only ever enter culture without challenging it, we've actually just forgotten what we're actually seeking to do, to win people to Jesus to win them to a new allegiance, a new citizenship in heaven. Paul says, verse 21, even though he contextualizes the gospel to the non-Jews, he still knows himself under the law of Christ. This is why I think we need to be aware of the trap that some people fall into. And they use this verse to justify it. They say, I'm going to go to parties and drink so that I can win people that are at parties and drink. It might well be that you are contextualizing the gospel in a way that's more about you and your preferences than actually about the people that you're trying to win. You see that challenge there is, Paul, we need to enter and challenge in our contextualization. So where have we been? Where have we been? For a cause that is worth it. That forfeiting freedoms by becoming all things to all people that we might save some. You know, I know this seems 
daunting. Evangelism for many of us seems hard and a burden. Forfeiting our freedoms is not a popular message. It is hard. And, you know, if it was just me telling you this, some chump just saying, you know, you need to do this, don't listen to me. Yet tonight I want to inspire you that this is exactly what Jesus invites us into as he says, follow me. You see, freedom forfeited is a path already taken. Let's have a look. Verse 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That word share in its blessings, the word is better translated as to participate in its blessings. Paul does all of this. He says, I'm going to become a slave. I'm going to forfeit my freedoms. I'm going to become all things to all people, to win people. Why does he do this? What he is doing is he is participating in the gospel story. His life is the gospel lived out. You see, Jesus the King, the ruler of the world, would lay aside his crown, humbling himself and becoming poor, that he might identify, become like us. See, the word, the word became flesh from John 1 and made his dwelling among us. He traded the glory of heaven for the rags of the world that he might identify with us. Why does he do this? Why? Because he loves you. For the love of the world, for humanity, he would be crucified. He would be cursed by God so that we would be saved. Our sin on his shoulders that we might have eternal life. This is why Paul says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. The gospel is our story. Christ is our example. Certainly we're not going to be crucified for the sins of the world, but we do follow in the way of Jesus of self-denial and self-sacrifice for the sake of love. Can you see that? Freedom forfeited is the path of Jesus. It's following Jesus. Are you living out the gospel in your life? Have you ever considered yourself in this way that you might be the gospel personifier? The gospel personifier. Freedom forfeited is the way of Jesus. And he says to us, follow me. Take up your cross. As I normally do, I want to leave you with some practical takeaways uh, to think about this week. Uh, Number one, consider your lifestyle. What changes could you make in order to reflect a concern for the lost? For example, think about where you're going to sit in your uni lecture, in your school class. How are you spending your time? Where are you going to venture out for meals? What are you going to wear? Have you even thought about what are we posting on social media and how that might be an obstacle or a barrier to people actually hearing the gospel? Consider how your lifestyle reflects a care for the lost. Number two, be an empathetic listener. Do you know what are the obstacles for people? Do you know what their stories are, their worldviews, their themes? And let me give you a secret. One of the most powerful tools in our evangelism tool belt is the amazing, incredible device that they've created. It's called a mug. Have a drink with someone and listen to their story. Listen to their story. Be an empathetic listener. Number three, go to their things. 
Go to their festivals, their feasts, their sports, their concerts, their homes. You know, I remember bumping into one time in the foyer at church. I bumped into this guy at school. I hadn't seen him for about eight years. And I was just shocked to see him in church. And he was with a friend, uh, a friend who's a member at City Reach. And I asked him what brings him in. He said, look, I came with a friend. My friend came to my karate class and he kept coming. And I said, sure, all right, I'll come to your thing. I thought, wow, this guy had taken up karate with the hope of actually inviting him to come to church. I thought that was awesome. And number four, pray for opportunities, which is why I want to invite each of you to come to the prayer night tonight. It's one hour of your evening, and I know many of you feel intimidated to pray out loud. Maybe there's a social anxiety or you're busy, uh, or maybe you just don't care that much and think prayer doesn't make a difference, and I hope that that is not the reason. But do we really think that we can affect any change unless God is the one at work? Have faith. Deny yourself. And let's be a church who prays. This is not just for the mature or serious, but I'm calling all of us, young or old, let's be hungry for God to work. So come along. Freedom forfeited. We looked at the last few chapters. Paul says, am I not free? Yes, absolutely, but he chooses to lay down those freedoms for the sake of love, for the sake of those who need saving. And I believe that this is the path to truest blessing because because as Jesus lays down his life, he humbles himself. God would raise him up. He would exalt Jesus. And in the same way, as we lay down our lives, God will raise us up. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but the humble, he lifts up. And so what seems hard now is actually the path to greatest joy and greatest rest and greatest ease is the path to denial. That's hard to hear, but I believe that's what we need to do is we follow Jesus. And he's going to go with us. He's going to fill us with his spirit. But let's be that kind of people who denies ourselves and become like others that we might win them to contextualize, listen to their stories, hear them. Let's do our best for God's glory. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to come before you and worship and thank you so much that you would identify with us sinners. We're so unworthy, Lord, and yet your love and your grace, you pour it out. And Lord, we do ask that you would help us to follow you, to deny ourselves. And I just pray for us as a community and if there are things in our lives that we're clinging to and we just, just can't let go, say, no, this is mine. I, I, I won't let it go. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's success or career or popularity or sacrificing money. Lord, help us to let it go. Holy Spirit, come and prompt us and challenge us. But help us, Lord Jesus, help us to be the people you've called us to be, that we might forfeit our freedoms for the sake of those we might win as many as possible. And Lord, I feel totally, totally inadequate for this, but I believe, Holy Spirit, you will come and use us. So Lord, open up the way. Put people on our hearts that we might reach, Lord, for your gospel and that we would see in the coming weeks in the coming months and years, many, many, many as possible would come to know the truth and be saved. Your salvation, Lord, pour it out, we pray. 
Use us. We devote ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing Hosanna. What they shouted as Palm Sunday, the week before Jesus was crucified. And there's this line in the bridge that says, break our hearts for what break yours. And that's my prayer for us is that for those that need saving, our hearts would be broken. Let's pray to God and let's worship Him as we do.